The following is a presentation of Highlands Church, helping de-churched people become more fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. For more information, visit us at highlandsadventure.org. I'm, uh, I'm Lyle Schmidt. I'm the transition pastor here at Highlands. It's my joy, really, to come down and, and be with you on Sunday mornings. And if you haven't figured it out by now, I love road trips. That's why I'm willing to drive 135 miles just to be with you on a Sunday morning. Fact is, I've always loved road trips. Ever since I was a little boy, I remember the road trips that we would go on as a family. My father couldn't afford a lot of time away from his job. He was the only person who was the company. And so when he wasn't working, there was no income. I know some of you may be in that boat as well. So we took very few vacations. Sometimes they were just weekend things. And most often they were just weekend things. And so we made the most of every time we had that we could get away. My earliest memories are of waking up at 4 a.m., being shook by one of my my parents and being told to get up and get dressed and to get in the car because we're leaving in so many minutes. You ever feel that call where it's like, oh, you're shaking from a deep sleep. Kids like to sleep in, you know. So I knew something was different when my folks would come in and wake me up at 4 a.m. I'd get up groggy, get to see your siblings and your parents groggy. Gather my stuff. Some of it was already together, but there was always a few last-minute things and items that, that we wanted to throw in. Pile all of us in the station wagons. Forget seat belts. You just laid out in the back. And off we would head as a family into the darkness. There was something about those, those times, those trips that had an impact on me, even my young mind at, at the time. I wasn't really always sure where we were going. We weren't always told. I, I have the feeling that sometimes they didn't know we were actually going to go until the last minute. You know how that is when, when you have work and you can't get it all done and so you can't go. And so I kind of felt like they weren't really sure always whether we were going or not. And so it was always kind of a last-minute thing. There were, there were the surprise part of, of that trip. We didn't know what would happen, where we were headed, but it was always an exciting time, and it, we knew that an adventure awaited us. Usually we were asleep before we left the driveway, but we knew getting up and getting around and getting ready that we were going somewhere and that it would be an exciting trip. It would be something we would enjoy and remember as a family. And I cherish many of those, those trips that we made. Some of them were actually through Paso Robles out to Cambria, uh, many times through Paso Robles. The early church had that same kind of adventure. And I honestly believe that, that the disciples were a little bit surprised when it came time for them to pick up the adventure that Jesus had started leading them on. 
They weren't sure about what was going to happen. They were a little bit fuzzy about what was expected of them and what was ahead of them. And so they began a little bit, in a way, of a hesitant thing. They were a little groggy, I think, at the very beginning. But they were willing to go. They were willing to take the call and the commission that Jesus gave to them. This is a part of our heritage as the church, to go, to not just be content with meeting together and enjoying one another, as much fun and enjoyment as that is, how much energy we have. I was just talking with Roy this morning. He, he's been here two services already, and I said, Roy, come on, three services, or you feel like you haven't done anything here. So you're going to stay? Okay, there you go. And I was just sharing with him how some churches I've been at, I've preached two services, and often I feel a little bit of a letdown at that second one. Here, there's so much energy. There's so much excitement. There's so much of the presence of God that that you come to the end of the third service and you're thinking, maybe a fourth. (laughs) The disciples... We're called to go on a journey, and that is a part of our heritage, to make Christ known in the world in which they live. And that was a very hostile world towards people of faith, especially Christians. We often think it was easy. They were disciples. My goodness, come on. It's harder in our world. And it's hard, as hard as it is, and believe me, I, I know that it is hard to live your Christian faith and to walk a Christian life in the world in which we live. It was much harder in the days in which the disciples lived and walked. And yet what they accomplished changed the world. And in, in fact, changed us because we are part of that heritage, that mission, and that commission. It all began on a hill in Judea, the disciples gathered with Jesus. And the first chapter of Acts, this is what Luke records. So when they all had met together, the disciples asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After Jesus said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid them from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white, stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking up into the sky? And of course, the writer goes on, but I'm going to stop right there because I think that is such an important statement about the disciples' mentality at this point. They were standing looking up in the sky, not sure exactly what they were thinking, But obviously, they weren't doing anything. It's an honest question. Why are you standing here looking up into the sky? They weren't sure what their next step was. They had spent three years 
with Jesus, being trained, listening to his, uh, his stories about who God is and how God relates to us, learning the parables that he gave about how we treat each other, who is our neighbor, what is God like, and how often does God forgive us and call us into uh, his presence how often we are lost and God seeks us until he finds us and then rejoices once we are found. The first part of Acts, and in a sense all of Acts, talks about what it means to be a disciple and what the disciples' commission was, and that is our commission as well. It was to be a witness, to take what Jesus had said, to take their knowledge of who he was and what he had done, and to share it with those who were willing to listen, indeed who wanted to listen, to bring the kingdom of God to others, not to restore a kingdom to Israel, but to take that kingdom out into the world to those who are hungry and thirsty for the presence of God. See, Jesus in John said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me, except through me. That was their commission. That was their mission. It was that important. And they believed that so deeply and so fully that they were willing to take that message throughout the entire world as they knew it in their day. They were witnesses of what Jesus had done and said to those who didn't know, who hadn't heard, and who so desperately wanted to know. That's our commission, friends. As Highlands, as the Church of Jesus Christ in the 21st century, to take that mission on the road, to take that witness on the road. We too are those same witnesses because of what we have heard and seen and what we know. So what is a witness? What does a witness do? What is their responsibilities? How do they act and respond? What's their job description? In, in a way, we, we th- always want to talk that way. You know, we think a witness is somebody who sells us something, right? Because we have so many people who sell us stuff. I was chatting with my two sons just this past week. They've signed up for some iPhone that's coming out. And I don't know if you like Apple things, if you like Android. Th- I don't know. Which I, see, I've always been an Android PC kind of guy. I'm not cool enough. I keep telling them I'm not cool enough to be a, a Mac person. And one of the things I noticed is that iPhone users don't become iPhone users. They become iPhone salesmen. <laughs> they somehow think you should be, you should own the same thing they own and that somehow what you have just doesn't make it. Maybe it doesn't but I can still make a phone call. (laughs) I thought that was what a cell phone was for. And my phone does way more things than I know how to do it. And they keep saying, well, let me tell you, it's that iPhone is just way simpler, and I'm sure it is. But we think that's what it means to be a witness, to somehow be a fanatic. And I'm talking about my sons. They're fanatics about this. 
And, I, and I'm not critical of anybody who has an iPhone. Believe me, they seem to be an okay kind of product. <laughs> Trust me, there are other things out there, okay? But we fear that, that title of witness because we think that's what it means, that we somehow must become a, f- a fanatic about what we believe in, in, the, in the way we share and who we talk to about and how we sell our faith. And that's not what being a witness is at all. A witness simply shares what they have seen or what they know or what someone has done that they know about. And oftentimes, it's when someone asks. It's not even out of the blue where they come and say, let me tell you to somebody who doesn't want to know. It's a response to being questioned somewhat like a a witness at a trial. And I know we have so many drama shows about courtrooms and and trials and all of that. And so what we realize and what we think about being a witness comes from that. We think that as a witness, you get on a witness stand and you're grilled. And we kind of are afraid of that. We think someone's going to make us say something we don't really mean, that we didn't really do, right? They're going to get us confused in our in our thoughts, and we're going to say something stupid like they do on TV. Or maybe we're just going to all of a sudden blurt out, okay, I did it, right? Just to get them off of our backs the way they grill on TV shows. We fear that kind of witness. One of my favorite drama TV shows was the old Perry Mason shows. Like Perry Mason? Just that music strikes fear into you, you know, Uh, Just a great opening theme. The black and whiteness of that whole series of of, uh, TV shows, I think, just (coughs) augments its, its impact. That contrast between good and evil of right and wrong, of truth, of justice, of finding the guilty party and and getting them convicted. And of course, Perry was, was a master at, at getting people to admit that they were the ones. Uh, we fear that kind of witness. We don't want to be, be caught in that kind of a situation, to be on trial in a sense as a witness. Sometimes the witnesses themselves became suspect, their motives and, and, and their purpose and their reason. Are they really telling the truth? But that's what a witness should do. Tell the truth. Tell what we've seen. Tell what we know. Tell it clearly and concisely. The best witnesses on Perry Mason were the short ones, the ones who just said a couple of things. You could believe somebody who says a couple of things. When people start talking and rattling on, like preachers do, (laughs) you kind of start going, hmm, I'm not sure. After someone's told you how wonderful an iPhone is, 10 times you kind of wonder, they trying to sell me or are they trying to sell themselves, right? So the simplest thing, the concise thing, the short thing, the truth is what a witness should be doing. And very simply, not to convince, but to just share what we know and uh, let someone else take that information and deal with it. Now, I had an opportunity to actually be in a courtroom 
and to sit on a jury. Rather than watch Perry Mason episodes, to actually be in a courtroom is quite different. I understand now why people avoid it. Why they don't even send back the little form, right, that comes in the mail that says your uh, jury duty, send this back, right? They know where you are when you send that back. It's kind of like responding to those emails that, that, that just spam out to you and you, you click on something. They know you're a real person then and they come after you. I sat on a jury for a traffic violation, very minor kind of offense. The witnesses were all over the map when they were testifying. It seemed like these, these two attorneys would ask questions just to ask questions, just to make it even more confusing than it already was. Perry Mason would never ask a question unless he needed an answer. These guys seemed like, I would just want to talk to you and just would ask you about the web. You know, it just went on and on. It was a crazy trial. The trial went on for half a day. The jury deliberations were three days long. We couldn't figure out who was telling the truth and who wasn't. Oftentimes, I felt that the person who saw the least was focused on the most in the jury room, that they were believed more than others who actually saw something that pertained to the traffic violation. And in the end, the jury was hung, or at least they should have been. We had no decision. It was a split decision, and I was one of those that was a part of making it a split decision, and there was huge pressure on me and another fellow during that that time to, to comply, to conform, to just agree, and we could all get out of here. The pressures of of that and, and the weight of making that kind of a decision is not a fun thing. I know why I'm trying to avoid it, and others are trying to avoid it as well. They weren't clear, this jury, as to what was said and what the truth of what was said. And you see, that's where we as disciples and the disciples in that first century were struggling a bit. I like the fact that they were a little bit confused about what they should be doing and what they should not be doing. I like that because I feel that way. I'm not always sure what my role is, what my jobs are, what the tasks God wants me to do are. And to to realize that the disciples who had spent three years with Jesus didn't have it clear is is a comfort to me. I spent three years in seminary and came out fuzzier than I went in. And that's just the way life is. We are a bit fuzzy until things start falling into place, until things start becoming more clear. They asked Jesus, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel at this time? Now, this is a politically motivated question. You see, the the, the people of Israel, the children of Israel, thought that, that God was going to make this great political earthly kingdom out of the nation of Israel. And even though the disciples had lived with Jesus and knew that this was not what Jesus was about, at the end, still have to ask that question. 
still have to get the, the fact clear in their minds. Is there going to be an earthly kingdom here or not, Jesus? And so they ask, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Now, Jesus knew that, that the kingdom was not an earthly kingdom for Israel. What Jesus had been teaching them and telling them about day after day, month after month, was that it was going to be their responsibility to take the kingdom to the world. Not a kingdom given to Israel, but a kingdom taken to the world around them. To be a part of the family of God, the invitation to come into the family of God and into the kingdom of God was the disciples' responsibility. That was going to be their job, to take it to Jerusalem, Judea, which was the county, the surrounding area of Jerusalem. You'll get maps on Wednesday, by the way, if you'd come to the Bible study. Samaria was the neighboring province, and then to the end of the world. This was their commission to take the kingdom of God to these areas. That is our commission as well as a part of the church. That is why we are on a road trip together, to take the kingdom of God to the people around us, to Paso Robles, to San Luis Obispo County, the central coast, to the next county, and to the ends of the world. That's why our group went to Africa. That's why we're planning other sorts of activities. That's why we reach out into the community as the Church of Highlands. Those are all ways in which we take the kingdom to the world and fulfill the Great Commission in our lives. It is what God is calling us to do. Now, I don't know about you, but that's kind of scary. I don't know, I'm, I'm sit, if I were sitting where you are, I would be going, that's great, Lyle, but I don't know about all of that. You know, maybe there's somebody else better trained than me. Maybe there's someone who knows a whole lot more than me. And I would say, you're exactly right. But, and you knew there was a but coming, didn't you? You know, God calls each one of us in small ways and big ways, in ways in which we have skills and abilities and talents, and in ways in which we are stretched, and in ways in which we grow in our faith, each one of us. But we don't do these things in our own power. We don't do them because we're good people and we're smart and we're better good, we're better looking, we're, we're more successful than anybody else. We don't do them because of that. That doesn't really help us fulfill the commission of Christ. It's because God has put His Spirit into us that we are empowered to be the witnesses He wants us to be. There's no other reason. It's because of the Spirit of God in us. You notice in the text, Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And then the next sentence is, and you will be my witnesses. You see, we often think witness comes first, 
and that somehow we ask God to bless our witness with His power. That's not the way it is. We have it backwards. God puts His power, His Spirit in us, and because of that power, because of His Spirit, because of His grip on our lives, we are capable and able to be His witnesses in the areas in which we find ourselves. Now, it doesn't take going a far, long haul to be a witness for Christ. It doesn't take going to Africa to fulfill what God is calling on our lives. It's not a bad thing, but for most of us, God's call on our life is probably to be a witness right in our own home, to share what we know about who Jesus is and what He has done with our own family, our own children, our own parents. For some of us, it might be at school to be that kind of witness. Others, it might be at work or in our neighborhood or in our community. These are the places God calls us to be His witness, not to be a salesperson, but to be a witness of what God has done in our lives. It starts with being empowered by the Spirit of God, to be filled with His Holy Spirit. Only then are we successful at fulfilling our commission as witnesses. Only then are we free to try and to fail. And it's okay to fail. It's okay to be fuzzy. It's okay to not have the entire plan and landscape laid out before us. The disciples didn't even have that. But God still calls us and empowers us to be that kind of witness. I love how Luke ends this, this little section, and I, I shortened it because it goes on a little bit. It says that there, was a, a, there were men in white robes. They say, why are you looking up? Why are you looking up? And I don't know about you, but... Looking up can be contagious. You ever see a group of people standing just looking up, right? And, and you're just walking along, and you have no reason to look up, but they're looking up. And so you look up. You wonder, what, what are they looking at? And if you're smart, you'll stop walking when you look up. Because you'll bump into something, you'll trip, you'll hurt yourself, you stop walking. And I think that's the whole thought here that, that Luke is trying to get across to the, the early church, to us today as well. It's great to look up. It's great to, to rejoice in the Spirit of God. It's great to come together and worship and feel the power of God here on Sunday mornings. There's no better place to be. I, I sometimes wish I could move to Paso Robles but it's 105 in Paso Robles, and it's going to be 68 in Santa Cruz today. If all we're doing is looking up, we're not moving forward. We're not out on the road. We're not doing what God really wants us to do, and I think that's the idea here, these disciples just standing there looking up, and sometimes we do that, and we forget that we have been called to a mission, 
that we have been called to be witnesses in our communities and throughout the world. That's what God wants for us. In that, we find even greater blessings. As wonderful as it is to be in the presence of God and to worship and have Caleb and Theater 3 lead us in music, to have the staff come and share the announcements. I I don't know about you, but I find the announcements as being a, a fun time. Usually, you turn off at announcements. Announcements at Highlands is part of the joy of of being a family of God. And that's good. We should enjoy those things, and they should be blessings to us, but we should not let them keep us looking up. We need to look down at the road before us, and we need to be moving forward with the mission Christ calls us to do. There are lots of things that we have that you could be doing. If you don't know, ask somebody. There are things that you even know that God kind of has laid on your heart of something He might want done. That's the the way the Spirit of God is. When He pours it out, sometimes we go on adventures. We don't know where we're going. We don't know the road before us. It's 4 a.m. and it's dark And yet we know God is calling us to begin a journey, an adventure, and it's going to be exciting, and it's going to be a joy, and God is going to bless us and bless those around us with His great love and His great spirit of unity and the bond of love that we have in Him. Let's pray together, shall we? Lord, we thank You for your call on our lives. We thank you that you do not just bring us into your kingdom, but that you send us out with your kingdom to share that kingdom with those in the community around us and in the world at large. Lord, we thank you for the blessing it is to be a witness. But so often we are a little fuzzy still. We want to shrink back just a bit, Lord, because we're not sure. Lord, fill us, empower us, motivate us with your spirit. May it not be a question of should I do something. Lord, may it be more a question of open the doors, let's get going. Put me on the road, Lord. I want to serve you and be a blessing to others. Lord, bless us as you continue to walk with us on this road trip. Christ's name, amen. This has been a presentation of Highlands Church, helping de-churched people become more fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. For more information, visit us at highlandsadventure.org.